One of the things that you'll notice as you read through the book of Esther is that God's name is not mentioned in the book at all. And neither is prayer. So we ask ourselves, why is this book in the Bible at all? Does this book that describes events in a a Middle Eastern country about 500 BC have any relevance to us today? We'll find that although God is not mentioned directly in the book, we find that as we read it, we are conspicuous by his presence, that God is conspicuous by his presence throughout the book. He's not named but you'll find that he's present throughout the book and in all the events that it describes. God was at work then, in that place, 500 BC, and he's still at work today. That's why the book is relevant to us today. God is at work in the events of all times, as much as he was at the time of Esther. Let's look a little bit at the background because we've come in in the middle of the story. Because God's people, the Jews, had turned their backs on God, he allowed them to be captured and taken away into another country, a forced exile, first of all in Babylon, and now when we pick up our story here, they are in Persia, they've moved on to Persia. At the time of the book of Ezra, they'd been in exile for about 130 years. Persia had now changed its policy and were allowing the Jews to go back to their homeland again. And you could read all about that return in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. But many had chosen to stay on in Persia. And so this book of Esther tells us that God had not forgotten these people that were left behind. Many of them really were not very committed to God. They'd become comfortable in their exile. Some were living without any thought of God. They had no thought about God's ways and God's plans. But God had not forgotten them. And that's the first lesson I think that we can pick up from this. God has not forgotten us. And never will. Even though at times we may not always be following him as we should. He still has a plan for us. And he'll bring us back to himself. The main message of this book is that God is in control. God is in control of all events. God is love. God is in control whichever way. The wind blows. When nothing seems to be happening, God is in control. When all the wrong decisions seem to be being made, God is still in control. When God's people are being sidelined and ignored and abused and and even persecuted, God is still in control. God is working to an end. That end is the salvation of his people and the judgment of those who oppose him. So as we read this book, we should be thinking about our current circumstances. How do we fit in to God's plan 
for this time and this place are we available for him to use we will find that God still has a plan for each one of us and each one of us has a part to play in it the days of opportunities are not only in the past they are in the future and also in the present let's come to the story of Esther we need to look at some of the characters that are there so that we understand what's going on King Xerxes the most powerful man in the world at that time he was the emperor of that huge empire that was we displayed earlier his empire stretched from India to Ethiopia and he was the third generation of emperors and really everything was given to him he didn't have to go out and get it he was a very much the playboy son he was a very weak character an immoral man a man who could not make decisions and we'll see, you'll see that in some of the readings there and then of course we have Esther Esther means a shining star it's a Persian name but although she was a Jewess a very beautiful girl we're told she had been an orphan you can imagine being an orphan how vulnerable that would be in a foreign land in a pagan land like that as I said she was a Jewess um, but she had withheld her identity of a Jewess her real name was Hadassah but she was living under the name of Esther living in a foreign country under a foreign name and if you read the early chapters of Esther you'll find there that she'd been chosen to be the queen because she was so beautiful and by the time of this, our part of the story she'd been married to King Xerxes for about five years and then there's Mordecai uh, he seemed to be an older cousin a relation of uh, Esther uh, he also was a Jew and he was her guardian he had brought her up and looked after Esther obviously when her parents were not there he was a respected civil servant in the Persian government probably some form of judge and he descended from King Saul that was always very important for Jews to know their background so he was a Jew very much at heart and then there was Haman uh, he was an ambitious ruthless man selfish I put down here as an Amalekite for those who know the Old Testament will know that the Amalekites uh, always opposed the Jews and so he had he, he was another Amalekite causing problems he'd become prime minister number two in the land and effectively he had complete control he had the king's signet ring so he could authorize anything he wanted and he gets the king to issue a decree that on a certain date all the Jews would be killed he was orchestrating a genocide huge numbers again um, from India to Ethiopia Esther hears about this plot via Mordecai and was obviously very distressed not just for herself because she'd probably be included in the slaughter but also for all her fellow Jews so here at this point we have the biggest threat to God's people since the days before the Exodus <coughs> in our day it would be equivalent to the complete annihilation of the church can you imagine all Christians to be killed 
We know that the church of Christ will never be destroyed. We have God's promise that that will never happen. Jesus said to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. We don't have that promise for individual places. Individual times. If a local church or even a national church is unfaithful or disobedient, God can do one of two things. He can revive that church. Make it in his will again and revive the people to worship him right. Or sometimes he just lets that church disappear for a time before he restores it again. God is sovereign in these matters. We have no right to expect God to work to our timetable and our demands. I always think of the example of the church in North Africa at Carthage. That was a great stronghold of the Christian faith for the first three or four hundred years after Christ. Operation World, if you look it up, says there's almost no Christians there now. I think they said there's probably in the whole of Tunisia maybe 50 Christians. The church has disappeared. The people, some of the people stood up there for the faith many years ago, but the church has been destroyed. They've been waiting for 1,500 years for God to restore the church again in that place. As I said, we have no right to expect God to continue to bless us and our country when we have turned our back on him. God will preserve his people. He will preserve and, and if you go through the Old Testament, it talks about a remnant of people who have remained. And that you can do the same. You can flow through the New Testament church and see that. In our time, in our society, we know the number of Christians are reducing. We need to ask ourselves, will we stand up and be counted as God's people at this time? We may not think that we're important, that we are strategic, but God has placed us here, at this place and this time, as part of his plan, whether we're aware of it or not. Often we're not aware of it. Remember Joseph. Uh, Joseph didn't know all the things that, that happened to him. You know, he was in prison, he was taken as a, a slave. Until later on in his life, when he reflected back, when his brothers came and saw him, his brothers who had sold him into slavery, he said to them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There was a plan there. So standing up to our faith is often not straightforward or easy, but it's what we are called to do. No matter where we are, what we do is an important and significant. And so in our story, we find Esther in a place of prominence. And now we find out why she was in such a place. She is there, as Mordecai says, for such a time as this. Have we been placed here for such a time as this? Have we been called to some task to do? Are we fulfilling it? There's a solemn warning here uh, that Mordecai 
tells Esther that if we do not act, God's work will still be done. It will be done in some other way if we don't do it. That's what he told Esther. God is not dependent on us to fulfill his plan. He likes to work through people, people like us. But his plan will always be done. Someone has put it like this. Opportunities for accomplishing God's will are given to us. But if we reject or neglect them, others will be given the privilege to their profit and ours loss. God's purposes are much greater even than our obedience. And so God will achieve his purposes, whether we're obedient or not. Our disobedience will not overturn the purposes of God. Just a couple of verses from Proverbs that talks about that. It says, the Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. When we are called to do something as part of God's plan, like Esther, we're not usually called to do it alone. We're given support of those around us. As we said, God is not specifically mentioned in this book, and neither is prayer. But here we have fasting, and prayer and fasting go together. Esther needed the support of her friends and she encouraged them also to seek God in prayer with her. She gathered together the people of God, the church of her day, to fast and pray, to show their dependence on God, to demonstrate that they expected God to work in whatever way he chose. She knew that the survival of her people depended on the living God, and she realized that God was in control of all things. And she now realized why she had been put into this position. It was for such a time as this. For such a time as this. What should she do? Even as the queen, she had no access to the king. And actually, I was reading up from other historical records, Xerxes was paranoid about his safety for some very good reasons. A lot of people wanted rid of him. He was continually guarded by a group of soldiers with large axes. A group continually surrounded him. And if anyone came near the king, they were immediately killed by these axemen. The king would have to indicate that he would receive people or let them be killed by the guards. So it was that situation that even faced Queen Esther. What should she do? Esther had a choice to make. Keep her head down. Keep hiding her identity. Hoping for the best. Or acknowledge that she was one of God's people. And trusting in God. That was a choice that she had to make. Esther chose to put her trust and her faith in God. And she did two things. She prayed, then she acted. There is a time to pray, 
And then there's a time to seize the moment and act. And she calls for all God's people to pray before she acted. There is something special about when the church comes together to pray. Yes, it's important that we, each of us individually, pray. But when the church comes together, when corporate prayer, God, when God leads and gives his grace and assurance as we meet together in prayer, as we have communion with him, as we pray together, there is something so powerful about that. Like Esther, we need to take the time to pray and then seize God's moment when it comes. Esther's time to act had come. She will risk her life because she knows it's the right thing to do. Esther was saying, as it were, I will do what God wants and have confidence that what I am doing is the will of God, no matter what the outcome will be. Just a few years earlier, uh, during um, the exile as well, remember Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they said the same thing. They were about to be thrown in the furnace. And uh, they said, God is able to save us from that. But if not, we will still have faith and believe. They were willing to suffer even the consequences. Esther put it like this, if I perish, I perish. She concluded that it was necessary to do the right thing for God and her people. And that was far more important than whether she lived or whether she died. She had made her choice to have faith in God. Here was commitment. She was not in ideal circumstances. Maybe sometimes in the past she had not made the right choices. She was in a heathen land with an evil, self-centered, immoral king. We all have difficult times in our lives. Sometimes there are flaws in our lives. Perhaps our past is not as good as it should have been. But when challenged, we should stand up for God, despite our circumstances and our background. Let's just look very briefly at the steps that Esther went through. First of all, she was in a position where there was no hope. She would be killed with the others. She must now identify herself with God's people and the consequences of that. She recognised that she had responsibility for others. She recognised that God was at work in her life. God had placed her in that special position at that time. She began to see God's providences. And they were not just coincidences. John Wesley put it like this. We should every one of us consider for what God has put us in the place that we are. And when an opportunity arises to serve God in our generation, we must take care not to let it slip. That's what he did during that revival. We may not be in such dramatic circumstances as Esther but God has plans for us. We are all born for such a time as this. She knew that God was in control of her life. What work has God got specifically for us to do? 
because he's arranged for us to be born at this time, to be placed in this place on Isla at this time. He's put us amongst these people at this time. We often think our circumstances are hard and difficult. You see, if you only knew the people that I worked with, I couldn't stand up for Christ there. Do you know, understand the fact, my family, there are so many things that we could say are difficult. Esther recognised that it would not be easy. It would be dangerous. Remember what happened to the previous queen, if you know the story, Zex's previous favourite wife. What a tragedy it would be if God bypassed us because we're not willing to obey. That's what will happen if we fail in our commitment. Let's just look at a few things here. That's a graph of church attendance. Um, it's skewed a little bit, but it doesn't matter. It still gives the right picture, doesn't it? That's the circumstances in which we live just now. We are here for such a time as this. We live in a time when our politicians lack integrity and morality. They don't recognise God as part of their decision making. We've lived in the middle of a pandemic. We live in a time of violence, as we've seen in Afghanistan and other places. We live in a time of poverty. This is our time. And we are called here for such a time as this. Esther knew that God was in control. She also knew what she had to do. She took the initiative. She did not walk out and protest or run away from the situation. She walked into danger. She did this with the support of the believers and with the knowledge that God was working with her and her people. She didn't rely this time on her own abilities, her own beauty, her personality, her position. She trusted in God. Isaiah said, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and grow weary. They will walk and not faint. For such a time as this, what's God asking us to do? Not someone else, but us. Not somewhere else, but here. Not in the future, but now. May God give us grace to be as obedient as Esther. Let's pray for a moment.